Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. Bye. This is Cal Ripken Jr., and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. And the ML Sports Platter is brought to you by Stanley Law Office's Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual in New York State and our great, great friends over at the Syracuse Fitness Store. Awesome workout equipment. If you're in and around Central New York, get on over there. Erie Boulevard, they've got bikes, they have weights, they have workout mats, you name it, they've got it. Stairmasters, hit them up. Andy and his team do a great job. Syracuse Fitness Store on social media as well. Tip of the cap, thank you uh, as well to the Swan and Whitaker families for their support of the platform as well as Welch and Company Jewelers and Chick-fil-A. Of Cicero and Clay, what a great product over there, of course, the tenders, the nuggets, the mac and cheese, I could go on and on, it's so good, the shakes, they will cater, by the way, and their breakfast is delicious as well, Chick-fil-A of Cicero and Clay, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. I am so thrilled to bring on to the program my next guest, he is one of the best in the business, man, he's been doing it forever, uh, covering the Boston sports scene for decades for the Boston Globe as a sports columnist. And now he has a brand new book out just in time for the holidays. It is must read. I can't wait to dive in uh, myself. It is called Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. You can get him on Twitter as well, at Dan underscore Shaughnessy. He's a winner of the BBWAA Career Excellence Award presented at the Baseball Hall of Fame as well. Uh, You can go to bostonglobe.com for more information and more of his work. Dan Shaughnessy, this is an unbelievable treat for me. Uh, I have respected your work for so long. Really appreciate you jumping on board, and congrats on the book. Nice to talk to you, Mike. I'm doing well. I want to start with the 80 Celtics, led by Larry Bird and company, with it's easy when you have championship outfits, and you know all about that in the city of Boston, through the history of sports, just to say Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame executive, Hall of Fame players, it's easy to say that, but inside the walls inside there's a secret sauce there's something else that happens to make them a champion a dynasty uh an all-time type of team what what was that secret sauce for this group well again you had the talent to start with and it was uh, red red Bauerbach had a way of assembling the right combination to guys most of the time he was pretty spot on doing that and in this case you know you had so much talent to overwhelm the room you had to have guys who were willing to share the ball share the gold, not be worried about touches or salaries or credit or fame or any of that stuff. I mean, and I think he achieved that with this crew. You know, Robert Parrish was a guy who was, you know, Hall of Fame center, great skill set, might have been the star on another team, but he he was able to subjugate that ego with this group and got a lot of easy baskets from Larry Bird just by running the floor. And he knew that and was able to play longer because of that. And, you know, Mikhail, similar thing where, you know, ask Kevin, you know, would you have been a bigger star on another team? He'd say, yeah, but I would have won less rings and, and probably had to work harder. So, 
Yeah, there was a notion of playing with Larry that, that they got along, and a guy like Dennis Johnson was a Hall of Fame guard. And, and having the coach, you know, Casey Jones was not an ego guy, and that was a perfect mix for this group because they could pretty much handle it themselves. He just stayed out of the way. Most, if not all, of these championship teams, dynasties, etc., they have three guys each and every time. In this case, it's Bird, McCall, Parrish, uh, obviously complemented by a lot of other great players I know, but but it's those three. It's Abdul, Jabbar, Worthy, and, and, and Magic, obviously. In so many cases, there's three guys. How, how are those three similar, and how are they different? Well, I think, you know, in Boston's case, it's unusual to have your, your big three be the entire front court, you know. Like you don't have a, a small guy in that mix, and you know Dennis Johnson was a Hall of Famer, of course. But yeah, mm-hmm. their big three was clearly the front court. And uh, in LA, you had you know Magic was a giant guy, but he was a six nine point guard. So he's playing a different position, having a guard forward and, and center. That was a formula with the old Lakers with with West and Baylor and Chamberlain. So yeah, the big three in notion has has kind of been around with the NBA for a long, long time, and uh, and it works nicely. And in this case, it just happened to be the front court players, you know, who were able to play together and just kind of take turns. I mean, McHale scores 56 at the all-time franchise record, and nine days later, Larry gets 60. So that's just how good they were and, and how much fun it was to cover them back then. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, we know, saved the NBA. Michael Jordan took the torch from there. Comes Global, Dream Team, David Stern, all, all that sort of thing. But when Larry Bird arrives in Boston and and hits the city, and the garden, and the fan base, and the history, and, and all that. What, what was that like when Larry Bird became Larry Bird? Well, I mean, the team was down, and that's why they were able to get him with the sixth pick. I and mean, he was junior eligible, and they had to wait a year for him. And they were down. I think they won 29 the year before he got here, and they got to, like, 62 the first year. It was the greatest single-season turnaround in the history of the league. And uh, may still be, I don't know, but and then he wins a championship in his second year, and and the whole thing took on a, you know, the Celtics became the hottest team in town, the league's coming back from an abyss of being the NBA Finals being, you know, broadcast late at night on on tape delay and all that stuff, and and Bird and Magic really brought it back, and in Boston created this uh, sellout streak where everybody was you had to go to the game, and it was hard to get tickets, and. And, uh, and then if they were on TV, you had to watch them. And it was just the hot team. We had that with with Orr and the Bruins in the 70s and the Patriots this entire century have had that. And in the 80s, in Boston, it was Bird and the Celtics. Yeah, that leads me to, to my next question. I know some people think this stuff is silly. I, I actually really love it. When you talk about the Mount Rushmore of a sports city, in Boston, I, I don't know if there's a harder city to figure out than Boston between Brady and Big Poppy and Ted Williams and, and on down the line, Larry Bird, Bobby Orr, um, and, and, and everybody else. Is Bird on the Mount Rushmore? Who, who's on your Boston sports Mount Rushmore? Well, Is mean, he on it? I like to take one from each sport, and it okay. makes it pretty easy for me. And so he's not. It's Bill Russell. I mean, just because of 11 championships in yeah. 13 seasons. Now, Bird was more popular and played at a time when the NBA was, was more of a, of a national sensation. Russell kind of toiled in a little bit of anonymity where they weren't selling out and it was a smaller league, nine-team league, and it wasn't really a big league at that time. But just the winning, to win 11 and 13 mm. seasons, greatest American sports winner of all time. And then, you know, Brady's clearly your football guy, and Robbie Orr, the greatest hockey player who ever lived, has to be your hockey guy. And baseball, I'm a Ted Williams guy all the way. It's okay. not even close. I mean, it's embarrassing to talk about David Ortiz in the same conversation with Ted Williams because you just can't 
you can't equate the skills. I know Ortiz won three rings, but uh, there comes a point where, I mean, Ted Williams was the largest newsmaker in, in, in New England in the 20th century outside of John F. Kennedy, and you can, you can look it up. He was. Wow, that's, that's a good one. It's such a fascinating conversation. The longtime sports columnist of the Boston Globe, Dan Shaughnessy, with us here on the ML Sports Platter. Incredible brand-new book. Go get it. Major bookstores online where books are sold just in time for the holidays as well. Great for any basketball sports fan, Celtics fan. It's called Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics, and again, by Dan Shaughnessy, who is chatting with us now. Um, what do you hope people say about this book when they get done with it? And, you know, as, as not only just that, but what do you hope they say about that dynasty? Well, yeah, thanks for asking that, Mike. I mean, I think that the important thing to remember here is that everybody knows who won those games all those years ago and who's in the Hall of Fame and what the stats were. And we're not rehashing that stuff. That, that's, that's done. It's all been done, done very well. This is kind of a, a memoir, a little bit of a love letter to an earlier time when the NBA was kind of down in its luck and, and Larry Bird and Magic kind of brought him back into prominence. And then, and then when Michael Jordan came on and David Stern, the league became a global entity. But this book is about just how small it was and, and, and me being a writer, and this is a very personal book, just you know, living with the players, you know, traveling with them, commercial flights, you know, small-time hotels, holiday inns, hotel bars, waiting for bags, just the access we had to them. I mean, no one, it's nobody's fault, but today's reporters aren't going to be able to tell you what Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart are like, or mm-hmm. it's just, you're just not around them. You can't get near them. There's a big moat there now, and of course, COVID's made it even wider. But in our day, you were with them all the time, so we could really tell the fans what they were like, and there's just a million stories here about the humor that came through and how secure these guys were in their own greatness and how much, you know, chops busting went on between them and the media, how much they loved their fans. Bill Walden has these elegant just quotations where he just goes on and on about the greatest year of his life. And, you know, he's embracing the toll takers on the mass pike and the garage attendants and just loved everything about being here. And most of them have that experience. They're 60 year old men now. But it's really wonderful to go back and listen to these voices and hear how they feel about each other now and how much fun they had while they were, you know, taking names and kicking ass in the 80s. Okay. How does this team deal with today's media climate with social media, if it were in today's day and age? (laughs) Well, it's a good question, Mike, and I think that... You know, I mean, Larry Burr would not have been a TikTok guy or Instagram guy. He didn't want his picture taken. And, TikTok. You know, I know that, you know, the, the branding that the guys do yeah. today, the AAU culture, and they want sure. to have you know, Subway sandwich ads and be elevated as elite players. And, I mean, Larry just let, let others do the talking for him, and, and that's just the way it was then. I mean, it was just the way it, it evolved, and, and today it's a little more kind of about me and just the game itself with the three-pointers and they seem to be less interacting with each other. And then, you know, being friends with the players on the other team. I mean, none of that stuff went on in the 80s. They hated the other team. And you would not have seen embraces at the end of the games or guys conspiring to play with each other the following season. So it's it's a different, you know, different culture now. And that's nobody's fault. Not necessarily better or worse. But this was more fun. I can tell you that. And it's all in there in this book. In in media today, and and I don't want to be the you know get off my lawn guy here, but it, I'll it, be it, that guy. I can do that. <laughs> okay, I, I was good. I was going to leave it up to you. You're a little bit older than I am, but I'm no spring chicken anymore either. I'm in my 40s, and um, yeah. you know, I look back at even God 10 years ago, 20 years ago when I went to St. Bonaventure, where 
you know, it was a different media climate. I learned the traditional way. You know, I learned how to write a lead. I went to editing class. I learned how to do a monologue. Um, and I'm okay with the modern stuff. I'm okay with what we're doing and the sports, you know, access that we have to games and all that. By the same token, I feel sometimes we're overwhelmed by it. I feel like there is too much out there. There's a lot of diluted stuff out there. Reporters can't get the same access, which you alluded to. Do you, do you miss the old days? I, I, I hate using old days, but do you miss the old yes, days? I do. I'm, I'm just glad I got to live it. I got to work in that environment. Mm-hmm. We could really tell the readers, the fans, what the players were like, and we were privileged to be have that kind of access and proximity and, and looseness and smallness. That's gone. It's gone forever. It's not coming back. I think an abundance of caution will be used forever to keep people at arm's length. And the teams like it without us in there. The players like it without us in there. It's, I understand that. They can connect directly with their fans now on social media. They don't need the media. And who would want a bunch of reporters crawling around the locker room if you could go the other way and not have them there? So I don't think it's coming back. It's just it's a loss. I think the, the fans, readers, maybe don't care and maybe don't notice, but eventually, like, we don't, you just don't know as much. And like with what's happening with these Celtics this year and last year, we don't know how they feel about each other. And there's no one there to tell you if, if Brown and Tatum get along, if they like the new coach, all that stuff. It's just harder to do now. Two quick ones, uh, and then I'll let you run. Dan Shaughnessy, of course, the book is out. Wish it lasted forever. Uh, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics online where books are sold in major bookstores as well. Um, you know, there's certain venues, Fenway, the old Boston Garden, the old Yankee Stadium, Wrigley, uh, Lambeau Field, etc. Golf courses, maybe like Oak Hill or a Pinehurst. They, it, you just feel different, you know. When you're there, you walk on the soil, or you walk into the arena. You, you, you just, you, you feel different. When you walked into the Boston Garden, was that the case for you? Did you have a different feeling run through your body as a sports writer? It was. I still get that at Fenway because, again, it was the ballpark of my youth, and you know, it's it's spiffed up, but it's 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 the same wall and the same poles and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I had a real sense of that. Know, walk into the garden because it it just felt like you know Jimmy Cagney was going to walk by with Edward G. Robinson. It just felt like the twenties and thirties, a smoke filled and and cramped and, and vertical and tiny and loud and just intimate and ratty. All those things. It was all those things, and it had the history. It was sacred space. Things had happened there, and I never went a day without appreciating how great it was to work there, even for all the inconveniences that came with that. Yeah, I never saw a Celtics or Bruins game there, but kudos to my parents when we were there on a vacation in the city, and I've been to Boston a million times. I married into a Boston uh, uh, family as well, um, to a degree. Uh, They bought tickets to the Aladdin Ice Show just so we could go, and I was very little, but I still do remember walking in and looking up and going, wow, here we are. I've, I've arrived at one of these places, and that was, of course, at a time when I knew I wanted to go into sports journalism. Loved watching, uh, you know, Bird and Magic. Michael was ended up being my favorite player of all time. So that was my Boston Garden. Um, uh, my well, only that time. Is good parenting, indeed. You yeah. Thank them for yeah. Yeah. And I still have the ticket stub too. I just found it the other day. Um, nice. fi- final question in the like thirty seconds or so I have left with you, Dan. Larry Bird behind the curtain story. Um, do, do, do you have one? That I, I heard you on Dan Patrick uh, where he was talking about, you know, sneaking into the gym and watching Larry, you know, the two dribbles and shoot, two dribble and swish. Um, do, do you have a behind-the-curtain kind of Larry Bird feel-good uh, feel story or anything to, to share? There's a million of them in this book, and when you see it and you read it, you'll find out. But, I mean, he took me for $160 pool hustling just playing basketball in the gym when his hand was taped up. and. Oh. 
and he managed to, to wedge 160 out of me in a free throw contest. So what was wrong with me taking that contest on? But I figured with his hand all balled up with tape, he wouldn't be able to make any, but he made 86 out of 100 and took my money. And he still could tell you, if you run into him, he took $160 off of Dan Shaughnessy. <laughs> it's incredible. The longtime sports columnist for the Boston Globe, he's been doing it on the Boston sports scene for decades one of the best in the business, winner of the BBWAA Career Excellence Award, by the way, presented by the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's on Twitter, at Dan underscore Shaughnessy, and the book is out, and it's must-get, must-read, wish it lasted forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics by Dan Shaughnessy. Dan, this was truly terrific. Thank you for your time, continued success, and congratulations on not just this book, but really a hell of a career. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Mike. ML Sports Platter is brought to you by your great friends at Liverpool Physical Therapy, Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare, Elevate Fitness Syracuse, and Brian Comboy of Mass Mutual New York State Tax Efficient Retirement Planning. Go with Brian today. Get him on Facebook. Get him on LinkedIn. And, of course, visit the website. It's advisors.massmutual.com. Tip of the cap, thank you as well to our terrific friends over at Welch & Company Jewelers and the Swan and Whitaker families. I just wanted to quickly, um, on the back end of this podcast, and man, was Dan Shaughnessy unbelievable. I've been trying to get him for literally eight or nine years. Um, it came close a couple of years ago. We were in an email conversation back and forth, didn't work. Email me a couple months, you know, things happen. Two months turns into five, eight, 12 months now. Uh, in a heartbeat, life just moves too fast, and so... Um, I waited out, and then I heard him on Dan Patrick, and there was a new book out, and I said, oh, baby, I got to get him on here because I loved watching those 80s Celtics. Uh, and by the way, Bob Costas, who's also come on the ML Sports Platter, he uh, has a great testimonial on the book. Uh, this is the story of a great team rendered in an immersive style that by Bob Costas. Tremendous stuff by Dan Shaughnessy. I, I wanted to keep the basketball theme going here on the program, and everybody knows that I'm not that big of a um, NBA guy right now. Um, I'm not a fan of a lot of the things that are going on. Um, you know, the the movements, the garbage, the woke, uh, LeBron, the inconsistencies, China, uh, all, all the stuff that has gone on, a lack of defense, load management, all this stuff. And I really tried about, I don't know, five or so years ago, to just really hunker down. It was a little bit longer than that. Six years, six years, six, seven years ago. Really just hunker down and go, dude, you, you gotta just quit this sort of thing and 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 watch and appreciate. You know, I not watching like every regular season game I can, like I do with with hockey, but or college basketball, the big games, my Bonnies, uh, you know, many other sp- NFL. Um, but watch more, you know, watch the golden age of, of Steph Curry, you know, the golden era of, of Steph Curry, um, you know, try to, try to, you know, watch more games with Giannis Antetokounmpo, try to watch more games with these guys because they are so good, so talented, legendary type players. And I started to, started to, started to, and then I kind of got away from it again a few years ago because of all the stuff that's been going on. And I will tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself that I kind of didn't pay attention to the league as much as I should have during the Kobe Bryant era, him and Shaq and the Lakers and that 
little mini dynasty. Uh, when Jordan retired, you know, a piece of my basketball heart pretty much left. And I just kind of, I kind of just disappeared from it, you know, being a, an NBA fan. And so, you know, fast forward to those times six, seven years ago, fast forward to three years ago when I get back out. Well, there's one constant for me, even when I'm not watching NBA games. And again, I try to get into the playoffs. I try to watch the key matchups. I'm going to try this year to get a little bit better at it. Uh, you know, the NBA on Christmas Day is 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 kind of a cool thing. It's kind of their own dedicated day. You know, I usually, the games are on, and it's just kind of like, what else are you going to do besides watch while you're visiting with your family and opening up gifts? If, if the game is on, you just kind of glance and look, right? And they're on, the games are on all day, and usually there's three, four, five serious superstars the best of the best playing uh, on Christmas Day. But the one constant for me, no matter what, no matter if I watch many, many NBA games during the season, plus playoffs, plus the finals, or none, and I catch highlights, and I just click on some box scores here and there, the one constant is Steph Curry. And I wanted to spend maybe 10, 15 minutes on this guy in terms of my appreciation for him and and, and how we should view this guy I've said it now for years, and Dan Shaughnessy was just talking about the greatness of Bill Russell, and Bill Russell had a hell of an impact on, on the game as well. Um, I mean, what an impact. Uh, the greatest defensive player of all time, the greatest winner of all time, um, you know, kind of changed the way the offensive center looked at defense, like, oh, I should probably do that too so that I'm more of a complete player. Russell could have looked at it the other way and said, maybe I need to be better offensively. Um, but it wasn't like he was bad offensively. A lot of offensive centers, a lot of dominant offensive centers, they weren't elite defensively. Bill Russell was pretty near elite offensively already. So I think that's where, you know, there is a major difference, right, in that in that regard. But, you know, I think Bill Russell's probably like a top five, maybe even top three most impactful player in NBA history, you talk about, you know, the, 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 the steps he took to fight for, um, you know, civil rights and he and Jim Brown and many others during that era, um, you know, paving the way for many black athletes in the future. That's a huge deal. That's a huge impactful thing. But I think Steph Curry is actually the second most impactful basketball player of all time behind Michael Jordan. We, we know the reasons for MJ being, uh, you know, the most impactful. I mean, when you look at him taking the torch from Magic and Bird, and just the insane, insane global impact that that he had. Uh, I think Michael Jordan's probably at this point untouchable. I mean, you know, want to be like Mike, hit the dream team, you know, the global impact, uh, the growth of the game, uh, six championships, going six and zero in the finals, six NBA Finals MVPs. Uh, you know, every look at the Air Jordan. I mean, look at the Air Jordan shoe right now. I mean, for crying out loud. Air Jordan, it's still the most worn shoe in the world, I believe. And Michael Jordan has made more money selling Air Jordan sneakers than he made playing the game of basketball. And oh, by the way, let's also add this into it, that a lot of this generation, right, it's almost like for a little kid, Mickey Mouse, right? Like I have a 22-month-old, my kid loves Mickey Mouse. I loved Mickey Mouse 30 years ago, 35 years ago, right? Like I love Mickey Mouse. Uh, you know, people are throwing on Sesame Street. People are throwing on Disney movies for kids right now. Like, that stuff is generational. It never dies. You may, down the line, you know, when you're 8, 9, 10, eventually stop watching it. But it's generational. 
The same can be said for like 15-year-olds playing high school basketball, 16, 17, 18, college kids playing basketball. They completely miss the modern, or they completely miss the Michael Jordan era. Their modern era is more Steph Curry, more LeBron James. In some instances, if they're a year or two older, you know, a Kobe Bryant perhaps as well, but not MJ. MJ was out by the time they were, you know, not even born or uh, incredibly young to even try to pay attention to games. Um, and and yet I go around all the time. I mean, I do public address all over the place and I look down at kids' shoes and you wouldn't believe the amount of Air Jordans that are on kids' feet. So I, I think Michael's number one, but Steph to me is, is number two. And I started to realize that he was number two um, some years back when I was doing high school basketball for local radio in central New York and we're doing a game and there's like 13 seconds left. No, not that well, about seven seconds left. They had the other team had brought it down with about 13 seconds. They worked the possession, they score and they inbounded the, the, the ball and the kids kind of taking his time up the floor He's not moving fast whatsoever. He's not moving at a snail's pace because he has to get up there at some point to try and get a shot off. Um, and I guess maybe there were a few seconds more than seven because it wouldn't have he wouldn't have gotten up where even he did. And he didn't push it hard at all. He really didn't. Um, and now that I think about it, th- there were 13 seconds left, 12, 13 seconds-ish on the clock, now that I remember, yeah, because they had scored at that moment. Uh, and then this club, the home team, got the ball back. Anyway, the kid gets the ball, and, and, and he gets the inbound, and he goes and dribbles up towards the timeline, half court, and, like, he takes longer than, I'm, I'm thinking, like, doesn't, isn't he going to, like, try to get up there and get a good shot? And he just kind of waited out, waited out, waited out, and then he looked, he kept looking up at the clock, and with maybe five or four seconds to go, he started pushing hard, and then he launched, you know, a really, really, really deep three over the half court line. And I'm going, that's Steph Curry. These kids watching Steph Curry, this kid just did that because he wanted to make a long three-pointer at the buzzer like Steph Curry makes three-pointers from the tunnel where you walk out, you know, the aisle where you walk out in in warm-ups or Steph Curry when the buzzer is near on the shot clock. Right. I mean, that's what is happening. All of this, this game that we have today, all of the college game, the high school game, the NBA, it's predicated on guard, forward, bob and weave, three point shooting. It's a lot of the outside. If you have a seven footer, they can play outside. Giannis Antetokounmpo plays inside, outside, like no tomorrow. Back in the day, George Mike and Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, they always parked their asses down there and that was it. Even to a degree, the Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon era, uh, those guys would play predominantly in the post. Now, they they would step out and they could hit their mid-level jumpers and all the rest and, and all that, but they would post up and then turn and, and shoot a turnaround jumper. If they post up and do it, it would be a post-up move. It would be deep inside, etc. This guy, Steph Curry, has the unbelievable impact where the game today, everybody's trying to work a system and shoot deep threes and get three-point shooters because of Steph Curry, because of how he's playing the game. And oh, by the way, I don't think for one second that people understand how good Steph Curry's ball handling is. I've never seen in my lifetime a guy be able to 
shoot the ball the way he does with the ball handling ability, which when you take those two things together, he's able to create a shot from literally anywhere on the floor. You know, I used to think about Steph Curry and, and, and when I'd watch him, uh, and I really hope to see him in person before he's done, you know, I used to think to myself, man, you know, don't you want to get up there and guard him? Like when you see him make a 35, 36 footer, you're sitting there going, Hey, defense, you, you, you know, that's coming, right? You know, he's shooting that basketball, right? Like, hello, you know, and then I changed where I was like, how far out do you guard him? I mean, do you, do you, when the ball is inbounded, do you just put two people on him and blanket him to the point where he can't even get the ball or when he gets it, it's a 35 foot jumper, but he's definitely going to have at least one person on, on him. And I don't know what you do. In a lot of cases, you know, guys come out, guard him. Um, he works around a screen in a special way. He's awesome without the ball. Um, many times he'll he'll just dribble dribble around and then fire one up from thirty, you know, five feet, and and they go in just all the time. And you know, his impact is incredible. I remember um, doing some some tournaments. Uh, you know, eighth grade, ninth, you know, JV varsity basketball tournaments over the holidays a couple of years ago and and, and, and and looking at all of the, you know, different sneakers and kind of get an idea of what kids wear and the brand and all this. And the Under Armour now is so big. Uh, you know, when I obviously grew up, it was Nike and it was Air Jordan and eventually like Reebok pumps and stuff like that. But Nike and Air Jordan, that, that was the juggernaut when I was a kid. And Under Armour seems to have maybe taken over. I don't know what the global sales are right now. Uh, but I think it's taken over from a youth standpoint. I see way more young kids wearing Under Armour gear, and I see a lot more basketball players wearing Steph Curry shoes. The SC, I see a lot more kids wearing that than LeBron James. I talk to a lot of my friends who have kids who play basketball in these modified leagues and you know travel leagues and, 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 and JV and varsity and, and, and the like, and, and I got to tell you, I mean, they all tell me, like, hey, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Steph Curry. His success has been unbelievable since uh, 2009. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that Steph Curry's been in the league, you know, 12, 13 years. Obviously, he's coming off, you know, a serious injury. But uh, as I record this, the Warriors are out of the gate and they're rocking and rolling here. Um, you know, what are we, 13, 14 games into the NBA season? And, um, you know, he's playing extremely well. The Warriors look like they maybe are a championship contender here. And the resume is sparkling, and all he's going to do is just keep adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. Three-time NBA champion, two-time NBA Most Valuable Player, seven-time All-Star, four-time NBA All-First uh, Team. Uh, he's a two-time scoring champion. He's in the 50-40-90 club. Uh, um, you know, he's won the three-point contest twice. Uh, he's on the 75th anniversary team. Uh, he made the All-Rookie team. Um, you know, the, the, the awards are and accolades are, 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 are through the roof and all they're going to do is keep going and going, you know, and going, and we're dealing with an impact though, that is going to be felt for the next 50 to a hundred years in the game of basketball and beyond, because listen, this is the guy who is credited with revolutionizing the game of basketball by inspiring teams to regularly utilize the deep ball. It's that simple. He's the guy who's credited with the game we watch today at all levels. 
we saw three-point shooting before Steph Curry. We saw guys create. We saw guys move off the ball and catch and shoot. There have been three-point shooters who have been some of the elite ones of all time. Ray Allen, Larry Bird, Reggie Miller, right? Like You know the names. It, it's They're there. But Steph Curry is the greatest three-point shooter of all time. And, and yes, I do realize that I'm saying that with the defense in his era that's been weaker than the 80s, 90s, et cetera, when you used to be able to hand check and kill each other and all the rest. But the difference with Steph Curry and everybody else in today's day and age is that Steph is scoring from literally everywhere on the floor and then some because his three-pointers are so deep and because the ball handling is so unbelievable. Um, When he has people on him from outside, he gets away from them and and shoots his release is so fast and so unbelievable as well but but he's he's the guy who's revolutionized the game man I mean it's his shooting uh, he's the greatest three-point shooter of all time in my opinion um you know he's he's spectacular um I gotta I gotta look up a couple of quick things before I sign off as far as the most three-pointers made um, to see where, how far he has to go up uh, from here. As I record this, it looks like, well, he's going to break it really soon. I mean, he's, according to this list, uh, he's 73, 65 short of tying Ray Allen. Uh, He'll, he'll get that this year, I, I would think. Um, let me just, I got another list here to make sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an amazing number, man. Whew. 2,908 three-pointers made for Steph Curry. Ray Allen has 2,973 made three-pointers in 18 seasons. By the way, Curry is, is 13 seasons deep. <laughs> He's done it in five less seasons. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. So he'll do it this year in five less seasons. In fact, he'll pass him... I didn't realize James Harden was in the top four. Um, I didn't realize Vince Carter was number six either. Um, but, man, he'll pass Ray Allen this year uh, by, I mean, you think about 13, 14 games in. We have 68 or so games left to to play, right? I mean, let's get the calculator out and, and roll here. I mean, if we're dealing with 68 games, let's say on average he hits – five threes a game. Some games he'll hit eight or nine. Some he'll hit three or four. Let's just go with 68 games times five on average. Let's play low end on this thing. That's 340 more three-pointers made on top of 2908, which according to my math is 3,248 three-pointers made. Uh, 3,248 three-pointers made. He will already be a couple of hundred and then some more than Ray Allen. And he'll play another four, five, six, seven years, depending on if he can stay healthy. And he will make that, he will blow that record out of the water. Because if he's going to make between 300 and 365, 70, you know, between 325 and 415, 23s, and he's going to do that for another four or five years, you know, do the math on that. I mean, if you, you look at it, let's say five more years. And he's doing that, uh, boy. I mean, now all of a sudden, 
whoa. I mean, we're dealing with we're dealing with a guy who could get to like 4,500 to 5,000 three-pointers made. I mean, that's that's what we're dealing with here. So that's what the number looks like. Um, greatest three-point shooting percentage, point percentage of all time, NBA. Um, I want to check and see where he is there as well um, because that's going to be a, a, an interesting uh, uh, mark if he can hold you know, because it's kind of like when you get older in basketball, it's hard, like your field goal percentage drops by default. Same thing with three-point shooting. Obviously, it's like that with baseball average as well. Um, Steph Curry, <laughs> you know, he's number two. Um, uh, Steve Kerr is at 45%. Steph, oh no, it's Seth Curry. His brother's number two. Seth Curry. Steph Curry is number seven. I'm wondering if it's because he has more attempts and more makes uh and it's a little bit harder on the percentage point but he he's seventh and I don't know as if he'll be able to get into that top top spot I I don't that's going to be kind of challenging as he gets older but he has a 43 percent three-point shooting mark for his career it's just absurd I mean the guy's insane so I think he's the second most impactful player I really do I think it's he's right behind Michael Jordan um just a spectacular basketball player great shooter and Kids are copying him, and, and our game right now at all levels is revolutionized, and he's really the one who's getting credit, and rightfully so, for the style uh, that has been you know, implemented into the game. And it's cool to shoot deep. It's cool to make threes. It's almost like basketball's version of the long ball, uh, you know, that and the slam dunk. So I would say Steph Curry is the second most impactful player in NBA history. So appreciate Steph Curry. Mike Lindsley with you here. It's the ML Sports Platter all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. We are brought to you by CNY Electrical, Rosie's Corner, Axe Exotic Pets, Ken's Auto Detailing, and Chick-fil-A of Cicero and Clay. Stop on by for their delicious peppermint shakes at Chick-fil-A, Cicero and Clay, if you're in and around Central New York. And a tip of the cap, thank you to all of you for listening. Thanks to the Swan and Whitaker families for the support of the platform as well. And one more quick note, as we get into this holiday season here, you're going to need things inside and outside the house, left and right. Seasons are changing. Stop by Burton Ace Hardware. Ace the helpful place on Route 11 in Burton, right off the Bartell Road exit. You can get anything for your house inside or outside. Hit me on Twitter, at Mike L Sports. And as I always tell you, enjoy the games. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.